And good evening. Welcome to The Old School. This is Mr. Ross Miller along with Dr. Stephen Bourgeois. The Old School, a podcast over the American education system as well as the problems therein and possible solutions and so far as we know the solutions. Uh, good evening, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Good me, good me, good evening. I, I stumbled on my first. Are you all right? Are you having a stroke or what? I don't understand. <laughs> no, I, your introduction was rather long. I was preparing my opening remarks and suddenly I was stuck <laughs> in my track. So uh, that's okay. I'm, I'm comfortable with making mistakes, which is uh, something years ago I wasn't comfortable. Uh, it's, now, it's the beauty of growing older. I think so. We've, we've lost all uh, illusions you know, of perfection. Yes. So we're just flawed creatures, just like everybody else. We are. <laughs> so what's the, what's happening today? I, I know we're about to have a conversation. Is there, are we, do you have something in mind? I'd, I'm annoyed. <laughs> That's it? I'm annoyed because I don't understand baseball. I mean, this baseball is America's pastime. And they're sitting there and they're trying to figure out how to win back fans. First of all, I would suggest to you, there's still plenty of fans out there. But second of all, every they're trying all these different kind of shtick to try to enliven the game. And it's a very simple solution, but no one's got the stomach to do it. It's like what we see a lot in education. Everyone knows what the answer is. No one really has the stomach to go ahead and carry it out. What are you and talking in baseball, about? When baseball, the baseball, the issue is tell the pitcher he's got 10 seconds to pitch from the moment he gets the ball back from the catcher. Tell the batter he can't step out of the batter's box and readjust his gloves for the 50th time in an OCD-like fashion throughout the game. That has a fairly good chance of at least eliminating a lot of the time wasted in the course of a game. That's your solution. Well, they've they've done that in tennis. They have a time clock for you to serve. Uh, yes, it's a countdown. You'll lose the, the you know you'll get you'll count as a fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, too, and, and the same thing for NBA. As soon as the referee holds hands you the ball, I think you get ten seconds. So they've addressed that. But what and and, pro, and the NFL has done all kinds of things to speed the game. What's wrong well, with baseball? Yeah, they, well, I, I think. I think the beauty of baseball is its timelessness in some cases in every sense of that word. So I think that's part of it. But I also think it's part of it has to do with the fact that the umpires don't really want to challenge the pitchers and the batters on this sort of thing. And it's got to come down from above and they got to be able to they stick to it. I do like the idea of moving the uh, moving the mound back a foot or so. That's been that's being tried out in some minor league. That would that would maybe increase the amount of time the ball's in play. That's going to move things along. Instead of having 10, 15 pitch at bats, but um, yeah, we got we got issues. This is sacrilege. You know, the ninety feet is is a sacred uh, measure, and and you're proposing to to change that. I mean, why not just kill the game right now? It wasn't always ninety feet. It used to be sixty feet. I mean, the the the, the mound was not always where I think it was. I think it was moved back in the sixties. So this is not something like handed down from the gods or anything like that. I mean. Sure, the notion of baseball has been handed down by the gods, and it's our responsibility to maintain it, much like democracy. But still, you know, um, not not so sacrosanct, I think. Okay, well, this is not what I'm used to hearing from you, Herr Miller. Are are you going to be able to connect this to our topic for today? Maybe in in no shape, manner, or form. Uh, Although um, it does speak to the notion of reform, and 
one of the things, and I don't know when it started, to be honest, I'm sure probably before I came along, but one of the reforms that was introduced to try to change how teachers behaved in the classroom was the recognition of individual learning styles. Learning styles. And and the, the chances are both of us don't agree with that. Am, am I right? Do we agree that we don't agree with the, the notion? I don't agree with the notion of learning styles. And it has in and we can we can uh, perhaps post the link along with our uh, podcast link uh, in the description uh, about this video. But, you know, one of the things that I. Well, it's really it's kind of it, it comes out of the notion and we've talked about this before, the notion that that in reality, there is no such thing as a history student. There's no such thing as a science kid. There's no such thing as a math kid. Organically, we're capable of everything in equal measures. Okay. Now that doesn't take away the notion of, of, of talent and certainly talent might help ease the past, the, the passing through of a particular subject, but all of us have the same capacity for subjects. And so when you consider it on that plane, it makes sense that it is also equally dubious that we have specific learning styles through which we can only understand a great deal of things, only through our particular learning styles. What is your first foray into this idea and I don't remember. Do you recall when this became a thing? Um, you know how things just kind of slip in gradually and then they're part of the, the fabric um, in, in a pretty short time. Um, it wasn't like there was an unveiling, uh, but I think it occurred to me when, you know, through some type of professional development, those, those times that we both hate um, mm. passionately where they'll, they'll <laughs> give the, the teachers a, a little uh, survey, something to take that, that is a waste of time, but they do it and they say, well, what kind of learner are you, uh, Dr. Bourgeois? And I say, well, according to this, I'm a visual learner and I have no spatial reasoning at all. Uh, some, you know, that kind of thing. And, and then they say, well, if you were a student, a poor high school student right now, and, and, and we did everything kinesthetic and nothing visual, um, you, your, your academics would go right in the tank. And so what right. are we doing to kids? Is that a fair assessment? Well, it is like a lot of things. I, th I think the notion of, um, I think the notion of learning styles was born out of a legitimate desire to want to recognize talents that a kid might have and potentially allow them to do better. You know, I, I don't think any of this stuff was ever created maliciously or with some sort of uh, odious uh, intention. But, you know, the idea is that like most things done with good intentions, you know, it, it, it suffers uh, for some logic. And usually things that are born almost solely out of good intentions is too wrapped up in emotion, too wrapped up in kind of idealism for it to really kind of meet out any kind of serious criticism. Now, the thing about the, about the learning style thing is that to a large degree, it came into the American education system with, with 
not a great deal of scientific study. Is that right? Um, it's not possible because there have been so many more recent studies that, that show that, first of all, it doesn't exist. And second right. of all, uh, the intervention um, doesn't necessarily help students. Um, mm -hmm. um, don't get me wrong. If, if a teacher just lectures 24-7 uh, and the students fall asleep. That's um, not helpful. Not a, yeah, it's not helpful. But it, but it sounds like an American thing to me. Mm -hmm. It's like the standardized test and the bubbles um, mm -hmm. you fill in. Uh, is an American phenomenon. Um, I know that they have uh, teacher preparation programs that are quite advanced in, in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. and, and they are, are probably all for having multiple approaches to the subject, you know, us using different means to get there. But the key word is different, a variety. Mm -hmm. But probably not you know, testing with students and finding out how do you reach these, these individuals it's almost like every student has an individualized uh, uh, educational program, uh, an right. IEP. Um, but can it be executed and does it work? I think it's a leap of faith, um, but it maybe has some unintended consequences um, as well. Because every, you know, a lot of people assume it's a best practice. You know, so it doesn't right. really get questioned too much i mean there there's a you know i don't want to say that too strongly because a lot of people are kind of passionate i mean where i used to work a big organization you couldn't even say learning styles because you know it was effectively debunked there and i think for good mm. reason well i think when you talk about the idea the, the the kind of the science of unintended consequences much of what we have talked about since we started this podcast is one thing after another that may have begun under the umbrella of good intentions and a, and a sincere desire to help things out and help students out, particularly students who are struggling. But what eventually it ends up doing is it ends up limiting the student. You know, the, the important thing for a quote unquote auditory learner is to be exposed to other kinds of learning. It is not to be fed auditory styles. I mean, the, the important thing for a quote unquote visual learner is not to be fed visual stimuli, but is to be subjected to kinesthetic or, or, or verbal or written or whatever the case may be. And so it's much like it's much like the, uh, uh, the, the, the kind of pathways and the idea of uh, having a kid stress a particular subject. It's designed to, well, if we get the kid really interested in one particular subject, the kid's going to ace out, and then that's going to matriculate into the other subjects. A lot of the things, and learning styles is a part of this, is a very short-sighted kind of notion. Now, again, I don't know what people thought when they first started it. I don't know if they thought, my God, this is brilliant. Who thought of this? Mm -hmm. But it's, it seems like that, like a lot of things that we've discussed here, it has a very short shelf life, and it doesn't tend to do a lot for the kid later on down the road. Well, the, the problem here is that it's kind of, I guess, insinuated its way into all of education for, for K-12. I mean, mm -hmm. you start with the educational training programs to get a certification. You know, it's, it's deemed a best practice. So when they teach teachers how to make lesson plans, they even have little domains in that little box that they have to fill out for lesson plans about you know, different learning styles. So it's made it into that. It's made it into the certification exams. Uh, it's, I mean, you, you have textbooks 
you know, they, they address it for sure. They have little boxes, right, within the textbook. To, here's how you address your uh, auditory learners with, with some, some great activities there. So they're, they're all assuming that it's true. And, um, and I guess the even more important one is teacher evaluation. Because mm. uh, you know, on that little form, I mean, you've seen those vice principals when they're in their walkthroughs and they have a either a little laptop or a form they're filling out. I promise you, one of them is, you know, are they addressing um, different learning styles? So it's everywhere, and you know, how do you get away from it when it's, you know, almost universally considered not only a best practice but um, something that must happen? They're looking for it as they walk in. Well, like a lot of things. It has to start with a conversation. The question is, well, there's two questions. One, do they have an ear for this kind of conversation? Two, is their reaction going to be such almost like a knee-jerk kind of response? Well, obviously that's incorrect. Obviously, there are learning styles. You know, the, you know, the idea about learning styles and the idea about everything else is designed in a rather uh, kind of a a dubious way it's designed to make things easy for the kid that's it and so i think it's a misnomer you know <clears throat> your learning style as if left to your own devices you would pursue this maybe mm. that's true for example if they wanted to give me a a, a a class session which would really make me unhappy it's here do do small group work you know right. and it's a social type learning, but I would say it has more to do with the comfort zone of the kid. And, and I mean, you alluded to it earlier. Do we want to give the student what, what they're comfortable with? Like for you and me, we're very comfortable sitting in a lecture, you know, hearing the lecture, maybe mm. participating in discussion, writing an essay. And, that, and that's, that's perfect because we're good at all those things. But um, it, to me, that's all that the learning style is. And even the way that it's assessed, it's, it's what is your preference? So mm -hmm. maybe call it a, a learning preference and it sounds a little less scientific less scientific but nevertheless still problematic to try to address and to try to fix you know because we believe if i could be so bold as to speak on your behalf <laughs> we <laughs> we believe that there is something to be gained by being uncomfortable mm -hmm. there is something to be gained by the struggle you know and um, and for me, um, not necessarily to, to wade into these waters, you know, but part of the the part of the thing that I always objected to with regards to safe space, you know, you, the notion of safe space, you could say, yes, no one should be ridiculed. No one should be belittled or demeaned or whatever the case may be within a classroom. I'm all for that because it. Because of the very because because conversation is a big part of my class, the very first day of, a, of school and frequently throughout the year, I make the point of listening and saying, listen, if you're going to have a conversation, it's got to be about ideas. It cannot be about people. You cannot be a jerk, you know, just for the sake of being a jerk. It's not the way you're supposed to treat other people. It doesn't matter whether the other person thinks differently than you or, or what have you. Okay. And so I want to go ahead and take that. Bundled up, set it aside. Now, outside of that, I think there has to be an allowance for a certain amount of purposeful, intentional attempts of making the student a little bit uncomfortable, taking them out of the. That's one of the problems I have with the technology. You know, again, technology is about making things easier for the kid, making things comfortable for the kid. 
so they do kazoos or whatever the heck they're called on their on their phones or you know what have you and <laughs> they're doing research projects on their phones and and it's not to say that I've never done it, you know, because I've had to kind of I've, I've had to kind of genuflect from time to time to the to the gods of technology. But, you know, on the whole, the idea is that every time you do that, you put them in a position where they feel comfortable. And as soon as they feel comfortable, they're not going to get as much out of what it is you wanted them to learn as they would otherwise. Well, it's a lot of pressure on a, on a teacher because the teacher, you know, one of experience knows the, the best way to teach the material and, and, mm-hmm. and they have activities that, that have worked, um, but they're feeling pressure to suddenly, oh, now I need to you know, include some technology or some, um, you know, whatever else, you know, kinesthetic learning auditory. Um, but, but maybe we, we, can discuss teaching styles. I mean, we, we've been discussing learning styles, hmm. but but I did a little study. It was a you know in a course in my doctoral program, but it was in fact I think you may have been involved in it. it was at, kind of at the school where we taught, right? Uh, but I looked at uh, student engagement. You know, how their response to a lesson, where the teacher in one setting was was supposed to teach in whatever way they they felt most comfortable. Like in your case, a lecture, right? Um, and then, uh, you know, the other time the, 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 of this, um, I guess, experiment, you would have been asked to, to teach in a, in a, in a different way, you know, maybe, right. maybe you know, through projects, you know, mm. some, something different. And, the, and, and did that with several teachers and, and looked at the results. And it was overwhelming that when the teacher taught on their, their preferred method, um, the students were dramatically more engaged. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to replicate this on a bigger scale, but it it seems like you're almost handcuffing a teacher, you know, if 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 they're expected to to jump through these hoops and, and use things that they they know are, aren't going to work. Now that said, I, I think I, I think you're right. I think you do have to try to utilize the skill sets and the strengths of the teacher. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why they're in the classroom, you know why you would take a person that you deemed qualified and competent enough to hire and then tell them they have to completely change how they do things. That seems silly. That said, I think that within their strengths, I think teachers should also try to kind of flex their muscles a little bit. I think, you know, the idea about how they look at things and how they express things and, you know, and that, that was part of my, that kind of my change that I went through about, 10, 15 years ago, where I went from a, just like a strict lecture, uh, and not to, uh, and not to, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Not to, not to disagree with you, but, uh, mine, I guess my class, I would kind of describe, yes, there's a lecture format, but it's, it's, it tends to be more of a kind of a conversational type of thing. Right. And so, you know, part of that moving from a kind of a pure lecture where I'm the, as, the as they say in the business, the sage on the stage, uh, to to the fact that I'm now kind of more moderating a conversation. And these these are things that teachers should feel uh, empowered to do, but to go into a go into an area where they're simply not fitted for it or not equipped for it in one way or the other, I think that's problematic. Um, but, but those two modes tend to be what, what you do. And then there's also the student presentation occasionally where they, they are taking their role of presenting information. But 
I mean, there is a, a list of these. I mean, you know, you have visual learners, you have oral or auditory and musical kind of combined, uh, the verbal or linguistic, physical, which we've been calling kinesthetic, right. logical, which is mathematical, the interpersonal social, which you know, you you kind of address with that discussion, but um, it, it would require some collaboration. And then yeah. solitary, uh, which would suit me just fine, you know. So, <laughs> but, but again, you know, I probably need to get out of that. And I think my teachers in high school knew that. Because, right. You know, I, t- I tended to want to you know work work alone, and 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 so they pushed me out of that. And I think, uh, as you said, being out of that comfort zone has benefits. Mm-hmm. But but if but if we're trying to maximize the time in, in that classroom you know we don't want a lot of fluff you know we want to be very efficient with the time because that's all we have it's all we have and that is um and again you're maximizing the talent the skill the knowledge the abilities of the teacher when you do that as well mm-hmm. and, and I, i'm sure there will be some that will listen to this and see a, a, a contradiction here uh, but i don't i don't see it that way you know for you know the teacher the teacher is required to make measurable uh, advancements throughout the course of the year. They're, they're expected to be somewhere, quote unquote, uh, by the end of the year. Uh, as you say, the only way to do that efficiently, uh, professionally, and as effective as possible is if the teacher is working within their strengths, okay? Well, but and there is a you know a technique to to make sure that a student comprehends. I mean, I, I present data a lot, right? And um, it, it's not like I can give give people just a table with numbers in it. Right. Um, I, I provide a, a dashboard that has you know, all these different levels. It has the number itself. It has mm-hmm. the length of the bar. You know, comparison that way, and, and you have a color. Um, so all these different, and then you have the, the a word, a written word of the finding, and then I'm talking. And mm-hmm. so they're getting all of this redundancy, which leads the, the listener, the viewer to, to get quick understanding of what's happening. So that's a, a technique as opposed to just giving a lecture. I mean, you do it, mm-hmm. you'll write on the board, you'll have an image or something. And so I think teachers by their nature, try to create some type of redundancy without bending over backwards to make kids feel comfortable. At least, at least I hope that's what they do. I think any competent professional teacher is certainly going to work a great deal within their strengths, but they're also going to make sure that when they're reviewing or when they're going back over something or when they're answering questions that they do so in in a myriad sort of way, just to make sure everybody gets it, just to make sure everybody understands it. And so that diversity of methodology, if you want to call it that, certainly exists. It may not be to the liking of maybe, you know, some administrators, but it does exist. Um, and I think that's just I think that's just a natural extension of a competent professional teacher. Well, I want to ask about evaluations because, you know, as as a German teacher. You have to? <laughs> yeah, I, I had a little advantage because they would walk into my room and, you know, we were speaking German or we would. And, you know, start to speak German immediately when somebody sets foot and they, and it, it's mainly me talking, but students and you, you can plant them. I mean, so pretty much the evaluations were very easy and they never got into learning styles or anything. They just said, all of your students are fluent. This is incredible. You know, <laughs> so they kind of over, overstated it, but 
have you ever had conversations where somebody, you know, an administrator said, well, Mr. Miller, um, you're, you're a great lecturer, but but you, you don't have variety in your teaching. Uh, I have heard that. Not, I wouldn't say I've heard that of late. I think once you've been in the once you've been in the system for a while, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to say. I mean, there are times when I have been called out for stuff like that, and I was like, well, I said that's also the danger of just doing a pop in, you know, a single moment in time, and you see one single thing happening, and you and you extrapolate from that that nothing else is going on. Uh, while you're not here, that we're all just sit, we all just kind of sit here quietly waiting for you to come back. Um, you know, so so yes, I have had those discussions before, and it's hard to treat those seriously simply because the you know the the assertion is kind of silly. I mean, these these, these individuals coming in and and God bless them. They, I mean, I, I don't know how else you could do that do that uh, process uh, any better without completely just totally revamping how we do things, you know, when and why and where, whatever. But, um, but the thing is, is that it, 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 it's a, it's a dubious assessment to be sure. And so, so when I've had those conversations, I, I have challenged it, you know, um, one of the, one of the, one of the, ends, you know, one of the school that I'm currently teaching in a very fine school, by the way, um, uh, the first semester I was here, at this school, I was teaching government and I was teaching government. And then there was another gentleman that was also teaching government. You know, I think he was a basketball coach or whatever the case may be. And so at some point, one of my kids got moved out of my class and got moved into the coach's class, but nothing was ever communicated to me as to why that was. This was after the first month or so of a school year or a semester when you generally see a lot of movement between classes as schedules try to be evened out and, you know, that sort of thing. And so I remember asking the vice principal, I said, is there any, I said, uh, what happened to so-and-so? Why was, why, why were they taken out of my class? And they were, well, well, you know, it's important that you understand, Mr. Miller, it, it was no reflection of you and it was nothing, no reflection of the coach. I said, well, it's a reflection on somebody. I mean, if you, you yank, if you take if you take a kid out of one class and put him in another class, absent of any other particular problem, you know, beyond the fact that, and the kid was struggling in my class. Uh, and I had talked to the parents, and you know, so there, there had been communications, but to to suggest that there was no issue, that they just randomly willy-nilly decided to switch one kid from one class to the other, um, it and it, I imagine a lot of this came down to quote unquote learning styles or quote unquote teaching styles, you know? Well, I, uh, I could picture that uh, vice principal who's probably young enough to be your, your grandkid using <laughs> <laughs> um, that as a convenient um, way. Let's to, say daughter. Let's say daughter. She's young enough to be my daughter. So, okay. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's kind of a convenient explanation, but yeah. the, the chances are your class was, was too demanding and the, kid wanted to maybe play sports and, mm -hmm. and get a grade so they they don't, they don't fail and um, but it's a it's a good answer and a good attempt um, but they probably didn't have a lot of evidence to back it up well it's the kind of answer that's designed to stop a conversation not create one you know and they're hoping that the teacher will sit there and think to themselves okay i'm not winning this argument and i wasn't really trying to win anything i was just seeking clarification 
But I think some teachers just kind of cut their losses and say, you know, forget it. I'm out of here. I'll just go back to whoever is still left in the room. Um, uh, but I was I was curious. And because it was my first semester, I certainly didn't want anything happening that would reflect poorly on my brand new employers. Uh, I wanted them to make sure that they understood that I know what I'm doing and, and I know how to do it. And so that was probably also part of it as well. Well, I can imagine some teachers and, and we, I mean, you know, teachers like this who are probably pandering to this very topic, you know, where they're being observed as they know the um, principal or whatever is coming in to, to watch them. And they, they, they say something like this to their class. I'd like all of our, you know, verbal learners to stand up and the kids stand up. Okay. Now, if you're uh, a, a social learner, stand up. And then we, and then they, they give them different groups to go into. We're going to put you over here and you over here. And uh, can you picture that? I mean, it could actually happen and I guess no one would be saved, but it would sure look good. It would look good, but ultimately like a lot of things that tend to happen on observation day, it's a bit of a dog and pony show uh, designed to score points, not necessarily to be effective in the classroom. Now, again, I don't want to belittle people's attempt if, you know, especially those folks who believe that this is a this is a certified way of trying to help kids succeed. I get the desire to to think that and to believe that, but as you mentioned earlier, there's simply not a lot of scientific proof to suggest that is indeed the case. So maybe um, we 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 agree on I think all of this, but you know, mixing it up is is, is never a bad thing. Um, but there there can't as soon as it's in an evaluation. Mm. Then, then it changes. Like putting something on a test, you know, the what you test is what you get. You right. Know? So the way you evaluate, you know, does have an effect um, for the teachers who who care to get that top. Uh, and, and even now, there's money involved. I mean, they, they can get incentive pay and so forth. So mm. as long as it's in the educational schools and and particularly in that teacher evaluation as a checkbox, um, it, it's not going away. You know, one of the things that I, there is a golf expression that you uh, drive for show and you putt for dough. (laughs) And I sometimes get this feeling that teachers are being asked to do a lot of driving. You know, they're, they're being asked to do a lot of things that look good, but ultimately may not have that much of a payoff. And this is kind of like where we started. The notion of learning styles does not appear scientifically to hold any weight. And so, you know, what is the teacher to do? I mean, does a teacher initiate the conversation with their administrator? Does the administrator care? Do they have time to care? They got, you know, a boatload of other people to observe. They got a bunch of other duties they have to uh, fulfill. They care. They want to do their very best, but at the same time, like everybody else, they're ticking boxes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we're going to make it out of this box <laughs> here because you know there, there's really not a a good solution. I mean, you are a department head, so you can take it right to the top and say, "By the way, my my teachers are are, are not going to um, follow the this procedure. You know, we're 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 opting out." Um, and, and just listen and see, see what, what the next um, words are to you. Well, as you 
you know, the, the, my very fine leader would probably just look at me and wait for me to go back to my classroom and, and do what it is that I'm well, being paid to do, you know? You'd ask if, if there was a question in there someplace. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is there something you wanted to know? Uh, um, you know, and it's, you know, this is something that has to take place on a much larger scale than the individual teacher in the individual classroom. Now, certainly the individual teacher can make hay in their classroom about, about trying to push their kids a little bit more, trying to challenge their kids a little bit more, trying to um, institute more rigor, whatever that means, you know, the idea of trying to be, to, to, to put more of the responsibility of the learning on the student. Mm-hmm. And so certainly as a teacher has that power, it is, it's, it's quite a dichotomy, you know, the, 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 a paradox, if you will. You know, the fact that teachers collectively really don't have a lot of power. Individually, we really don't have a lot of power. But because our job exists within a four-walled classroom, we do have the power to try to affect change. We do have the power to try to to experiment, to try to push our students a little bit more. Now, you still have to answer to whatever's going on on the outside, but it, it, it does speak to uh, a kind of unique position that teachers are in to give this a shot and see if it would work. Well, there's a group of schools that um, would most likely agree with what, what we're saying, the, the classical schools. Yes. Um, and there are classical charters, there's classical private schools, there's faith-based classical schools, um, but they've pretty much taken learning styles i mean they 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 want good teaching you know whatever Mm -hmm. that that is but they have a methodology that they're comfortable with and Mm -hmm. and so they don't necessarily speak in those terms they're not trying to cater to the student they want to challenge the student and that's part of developing Mm -hmm. virtue of perseverance and all these other things that often don't come up you know Mm -hmm. in the traditional public school we're, we're more interested in, I don't want to degrade social emotional learning, but the comfort of the, the student. Mm. Um, so, so there, there are, there are like-minded people out there at least, if that makes you feel any better. So you're saying we're not a lone voice in the wilderness, <laughs> not even close. There's a lot of voices out there who probably <laughs> said it better than we did. Um, probably so. But um, e- either way, you, you, um, you started out being upset with baseball uh, and, still, and I'm still upset with baseball. So. You came up with a radical solution, you know, putting a What's timer that? on a pitcher. That's not going to work. I mean, you're, the pitchers are going to complain. They're going to walk out. Well, they, yeah, they're going to complain. But the 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 listen, the players union has got to get on board with this as well, because the players union, they understand that this keeps going in the direction it's going. It hurts both sides. You know, they think they think that this only hurts one side. I mean, it's just ignorant. You know, eventually it's going to hurt both sides. There has to be, I know what, what I don't think is the answer is like tricking up baseball. Baseball is great as it is. It doesn't need, doesn't need a bunch of damn music played over a speaker system in the stadium either. Um, it doesn't need to try to cater to the modern generation. What it does need to do is highlight why it's so cool and why it's such a great sport and why it's the most beautiful sport there is out there with all apologies to the Brazilian notion of soccer. Uh, baseball is indeed the beautiful game. So beautiful game well i think all games could benefit from getting rid of uh replay because time is really important you know and and the mm-hmm. there was a beauty to a bad call i mean it was it was final you you could be upset with it but the game went on 
and, and now you know we're all a bunch of lawyers looking at that and looking at minutiae. I mean, it's I think that's all you know part of the problem. You know, is that we're slowing it down almost intentionally, right? When when so it's it's working against us, but the because we have the technology and I guess the genie's out of the bottle. You know, that that's not going anywhere. And I hope, but the whole idea was that baseball was about, and, and my, I guess a lot of sports were about this. Part of the beauty of the sport was how players overcame the mistakes, right? Overcame the the bad calls. You know, when a when a manager goes out to pull a pitcher, that pitcher does not leave that mound until the manager gets up there, gets handed the ball, and then and only then does the pitcher leave. It's an acceptance that they didn't quite get the job done. And is there for everybody? It's a very beautiful thing. I agree. It's a better. Yeah. You know, it happens to some teams more often than others. <laughs> but, but really, even the best pitchers. You know, that isn't that a beautiful notion? You know, they go eight endings, innings, and they're still having to, you know, give up that ball. Yes. Um, well, and and even the batter. I mean, the, the you know, it's, it's been said often. You know, the greatest batters fail seven out of ten times. You know, the beauty that failure comes hand in hand with success. Okay. So finally we've made kind of a little connection <laughs> you know, with, with, with failure. And that's a good thing because I didn't think we'd get this back. <laughs> but, um, well, well uh, next week, next week, I may be here live from Minneapolis. <laughs> you're in Texas now and you're, you're going I'm in Texas now and I may be in Minneapolis uh, going on vacation. Uh, but the show goes on. You're saying the show, the show goes on, and that and that means that uh, our next recording could be with me live from Minnesota. Of course, I understand we're always live at some point, but uh, in this case, uh, I'm going to be in Minnesota. So, well, Minnesota it is. I'm don't don't try to fashion an accent, please. Just spare us that at least. I, I've been I've been watching Fargo. I think I got it. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaking my head now. All right. <laughs> Herr Miller, I'm going to be the first to say Auf Wiedersehen, Auf Wiedersehen. Have a great vacation, sir. And you too have a great week, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. All right.